0: Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmeticscom thrive. That's thrivecosmetics, C A U S E M E T I C S dot thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine.
2: You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history.
0: We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show.
3: This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine. Bringing you the best
2: in collectibles, movies, music, wrestling, gaming, and more. Check it out at electrifiedporcupine.com.
1: Hey there, this is Christian Swain from the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Rock and Roll Archaeology? What's that you say? We are a podcast network dedicated to digging deep into the amazing music that exploded out of the second half of the 20th century. We believe the music, culture, and technology wove together, and it is an important story of history as, say, the Italian Renaissance or the Impressionists of Paris. We have six shows, all with a different side of this incredible time Rock Talk with myself and host Peter Ferrioli, Real Rock, and that's R E E L, hosted by Andy King, Vinyl Snob with the legendary Dave Whitaker. Rock and Roll Librarian with the Headmistress herself, Shelly Sorensen. Deeper Digs in Rock, where I interview famous rock and roll personalities and the people who scribed the times and events. And finally, our full telling of the history of rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast, which started it all. Find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So let's get back to Between the Sheets of Rock and Roll with Shanty and Lynx. And muses and stuff. I don't
3: know. Hi, Links. Hey, how's it going? Great. So I'm good. So happy that you're here. I'm happy to be here. And I'm excited about this one. Um, you're always excited. I am. <laughs> oh God, I am. So. Especially about ones I know nothing about, and this is definitely one of those, so... Well, thank you for sending me
2: this book. You are so good at finding um, these women, and you are such... you a friggin' hero, <laughs> so uh, you actually directed me to the book and the woman and the episode that I'm going to be telling
3: you today. Yeah, this is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know what else is exciting? What? I'm going to New York ah.
2: this weekend. I'm so
3: jealous. I so wish I could be going with you. It's my
2: first time and so expect lots of Instagram stories. Yeah.
3: Um, i vintage shopping. Yeah. I'm going to just walk around. You got to tell me some of the places you're going. Yeah, I will. I'll show Give you my you some... itinerary after. Yeah. I got some vintage shops that you might be into. Okay. Perfect.
2: Cool. Um, And for our lovely listeners who are listening in real time, as they call it, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is kind of special, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we like to talk about love all of the time, every episode, every day. Um, But that's, yeah. (laughs) Happy Love Day. So. Yes. Today, I'm going to tell you about a woman named Pauline Butcher. Yes. And she has a book called Freak Out, My Life with Frank Zappa. Perfect title. Isn't it? Perfect title. So, um, my mom really liked Frank Zappa. Ooh. So, I remember her mentioning that. And then when I was going to type up the episode, I was like, I'm going to ask her exactly what about frank zappa especially learning more about him watching his um his thing on netflix and then reading this book it's like my mom yeah yeah Yeah? (laughs) so i called her and i was just like what did you like about frank zappa and the mother's invention Mm -hmm. and um she said because It came out at this time, the age that she was, she was in her second year of college. It was the summer of her second year of college. And she said that it just made a lot of sense to her. Interesting. When a lot of people, I think, would say that it's nonsense. Yeah, it's the opposite. It made sense to her. And then she said that, um, like, a lot of people really didn't like them, but they were people who were narrow-minded and wouldn't give him a
3: chance. Yeah. 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 That does make sense in a way that, you know, a certain age group, when you're, especially like that age group, you're wanting to discover more, you know, what's out there. And that is a perfect time to kind of get into Zappa. I think something really special about him, too, is that he really did surround himself with women.
2: Oh, my. Did he ever? And me tell you about them.
3: Yeah. That, I'm sure, has a lot to do with... His character. You know? mm-hmm. yeah.
2: um, so if you're wondering who Pauline Butcher is, mm-hmm. well, she was a young secretary who grew up in England. And it was in 1967 that her life changed. So her job consisted of like typing menus, adverts, film scripts, um, novels for like hopeful hopeful writers Mm -hmm. and so her and like a bunch of other girls they would run around town with like portable typewriters or notebooks and they would travel to hotel rooms or private homes and uh, she said that they had some clientele that were important people indeed Mm -hmm. so she was the 10th child of 11 wow And she said that she was like a more submissive child, not really causing too much trouble. She felt that because her mother, you know, provided her with food, did her laundry, gave her a home, and she only paid a little bit of rent, that like she didn't want to rustle any feathers. Um, So she had three older sisters who were still at home with her, Mm -hmm. and uh, this would... Or oh, sorry. She had three sisters who, by the time she came to the U.S., yeah. had already lived, were already living in living the United in it. States. okay. Yes. Um, and this would prove, like, really convenient for her later on. For
3: sure. Her
2: father was a retired carpenter who, she says, would bring her cups of tea in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, he supported all of his 11 children, and um, she... Kept this from him. She never told him this. But when she was a secretary, she actually made more in a week than he did in a month. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what she also did, besides being the secretary, is that she would do some, like, catwalk work. And she also worked... Um, like teaching young girls how to be models, how to walk, how to pose, how to do these kinds cool. of things. She was like teaching modeling, and uh, so she said like she would run around town sometimes, like working all three jobs in one day, in one day. <laughs> which like kind of makes me feel like what I've been doing.
3: So I was really identifying with yeah. her a lot during this. It's cool too because it's like one half professional, one half kind of artist. And- yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, Um, so yeah, she said that she made more in a week than he did in a month from simply prancing up and down a a catwalk and bashing a typewriter. (laughs) Um, She drove a Mini, and I read in an article, um, it's like an article in The Guardian, uh, she was described as wearing Minis and driving a Mini. (laughs) And so this Mini was her joy. One day she was at the office. And nobody was picking up the phone. I think the person that was actually supposed to, like, pick up the phone and then tell the girls where they were going, like, wasn't in. So she picked up the phone. Cool. And it's a good thing she did. Because um, there was a job uh, to go to a hotel room. Um, And she asked all of the girls, does anybody want this job? Everybody, Nobody wanted it. So she said, okay, Pauline Butcher will will be there. And... um, the person on the other end said it's for mr zappa room 412 wow yeah so she had always wanted to be a journalist so being a typist made her feel like she had missed her calling and that she had lost her chance to mm. become a writer when she was only 22 she met this man a journalist at a party and he told her that she was too she was too late so what? like journalists like sh- they start when they're 16 they yeah and so basically her dream was squashed it's
3: never too late
2: Well, I think that that's very true. (laughs) Um, Journalism was her dream job, and although she wasn't unhappy, her life wasn't as exciting as she thought that it would be. Until, of course, she met Frank Zappa. Talk about exciting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, She hadn't found a guy that she was crazy about. You know, 22, England, like at this point, like in in the 60s, like girls... We're starting to settle down. Um, instead, she decided to save all of her money in travel. She had this pension, like I said, for wearing very short skirts. And when it was time to go up to the hotel to meet this mysterious Mr. Zappa, there was a man in an, ele- in an elevator flirting with her and said, wow, even in California, girls don't wear skirts that short. <laughs> and she said that she was ready to flirt and replied, well, this is London. Um, in fashion, we lead the world. Damn straight. Yeah. He ended up actually going to Frank's hotel room as well. And then that began her introduction to the wacky world of rock and roll. So Frank was in England at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So she thought that she had the wrong room when he opened the door. (laughs) Um, Because like many people who would just see Frank Zappa, nobody took him seriously. But really, he was one of the most serious men in the whole world. Yeah. Um, So what she was doing there was Frank wanted her to type up the lyrics... On a tape that he had. And he wanted them by the next day. One of the guys in the hotel room said to Pauline, This guy is a musical genius. Stick by him and you'll go far.
3: Wise words. Mm -hmm.
2: Pauline describes Frank's appearance and says that he looked like no other living creature I'd seen. She says that he was oddly (laughs) handsome. And that no one had ever listened so closely and so attentively to her before. Um she was pretty prim and proper and never ever swore so coming into this room and like <laughs> listening to those tapes was like a complete shock to her um of the tape that she listened to she says i pressed the play button and gobbledygook burst out as he disappeared through the door called out i called out mr zappa he said backwards uh-huh is this english <laughs> he curled one side of his mouth in a wry smile pleased that he understood my humor i smiled back cheekily he gave me one last cool appraisal and then vanished to join the others i stared after him wanting him to stay and talk more Aww. yeah um, she's got some really interesting stories. Like, for example, one night, uh, one of her modeling friends asked her to accompany her and a director and his two friends to the Dorchester Motel, Hotel, sorry, not Motel, Hotel, where she ate the best steak she'd ever tasted. She said that they were all talking about the movie Blow Up and like none of them understood it at all. She tried to explain to them about the symbolism and they just like grumbled at her and when she realized like, oh, I'm just here to be like a pretty face yeah. and just shut up
3: pull up such a good film.
2: Yeah. So after, yeah, cuz she was talking about the symbolism and just like how like There's what it was so representing much there. and they were just like, yeah. So after dinner, no surprise, the men pretty much told the girls to go to the bedroom yeah. and like, "Okay, hey, time for this part." And Pauline's just like, "What?" Uh, no. <laughs> no. And so she pretty much grabbed her friend and like got her out of there. And um, her friend ended up crying and saying, Oh, Pauline, they promised me a part in their film. Now you've ruined it. No. Yeah. No. So back to Frank. The next day, she brought the typed lyrics to him and was so excited. She says that she almost jumped in front of the taxi like to get there. <laughs> um, when he read her lyrics, he laughed and said that what she typed was even better than the original. So I'm going to quote. Feeling a little encouraged, I said, I didn't understand a lot of it, so I made it up. A baby doll makes a filthy poo? What should it be? A case of airplane glue. <laughs> See, what she wasn't sure what kind of audience this appealed to, so Frank had to explain to her that he had a niche market, and although radio stations refused to play them, he said, generally, we seem to thrive where there's dissent between generations because we tend to pep things up. Mm. She discussed his lyrics basically called them immoral. And although she was kind of afraid that he would kick her out, he patiently explained things to which she dictated such as he, so he said, take this down. He crossed his legs and leaned one elbow on his knee, his cigarette poised while he collected his thoughts. Presumably because of my puzzlement with some of the lyrics, he felt compelled to dictate an explanation for each of the tracks plastic people are the insincere assholes who run almost everybody's country vegetables are people who are inactive in a society and who do not live up to their responsibilities the duke of prunes is a surrealistic love song and the words prune me cheese me are transmuted from the basic fuck me suck me till my eyes roll back baby (laughs) imagine how she must have felt like never (laughs) never like never even uttering these words before and now all of a sudden she's writing them down yeah so I'm going to continue she writes. He raced on, clearly enjoying himself, hugging one bare foot over his knee. Brown Shoes Don't Make It is a song about the unfortunate people who manufacture inequitable laws and ordinances, perhaps unaware of the fact that the restrictions they place on the young people in society are the result of their own sexual frustrations. Dirty old men have no (laughs) business running your country.
3: Amazing. I love that, like, it sounds like it's nonsense, but there's... So much thought put behind all those crazy words. Yeah. And I love how my mom was apparently picking up on this stuff.
2: (laughs) So after he read her typed lyrics, he corrected them. He invited her to go to a speakeasy. There was definitely sparks of energy between them. And she was very interested and very keen to spend more time with him. At the speakeasy, she describes boys with Beatles haircuts with Patty Boyd lookalikes. So I always knew that there were boys who were imitating the Beatles, but I totally forgot that there were probably so many girls imitating Patty Boyd as well. Yeah. Yeah. So people were definitely staring at them. And some people were going like, hey, that's Frank Zappa. And so to be silly, they did a little dance all the way to their table. (laughs) Um, That night, Eric Clapton came up to Frank's tables because it's not a Muses episode if we don't mention (laughs) Eric Clapton somehow (laughs) getting in in here.
3: I just watched his documentary. It was so good. What? Um, I think it was called like Life in 12 Bars or something. There's tons of Patty... Like in their relationship and it tons oh, of it. Amazing. Yeah, it's really good. How did you watch it? Uh, on my TV.
2: <laughs> but like you had it on, like it a, was on like a uh, or it was on TV? HBO or something amazing. like that. Yeah. Oh, that's like I'm. That's when I miss television. It It was good. So that night, Eric um, went over to Frank's table because he was a big fan. Many people, like many guys like that, they really respected Frank Zappa. Um, And Pauline had no idea who he was really and asked, So what do you play? Yeah, she did have some interest in music. Um, She did like the Beatles. (laughs) She had seen the Animals and Jimi Hendrix, but she was pretty embarrassed. And she eventually went home hoping that she would see Frank again. Mm. She said that her work dragged on and her social life felt boring. After you meet Zappa, everything must be boring. (laughs) Um, She saw Frank on the cover of Melody Maker, and that's when he was in the floral dress with the the, um, pigtails or bunches, as she calls them. She was torn because she really wanted to see him again, but she didn't have the courage to call him directly and ask ask him if he had any more work for her. So when Frank and the Mothers of Invention played a show in her town, she bought a ticket. Yay! And so his show was a mix of comedy, rock and roll, jazz, orchestral music.
3: Oh, God, imagine seeing him live.
2: Enter Susie Cream Cheese. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) So... Who is Susie cream cheese? You You, might ask. Yeah. Well, um, when asked by the press, is she your girlfriend or something? Frank answered or something. (laughs) She was a member of the band and, um, yeah. So Pauline saw her on stage and was like, wait, who is this woman? Like, or this girl, you know, she's got long straight hair. She's pretty. Was she one of Frank's lovers? Who was she? Well, we'll soon find out. After the show, Pauline did probably one of the biggest groupie things I've ever heard of. Oh, God. And went to the stage door around the building where she says, a cluster of people waited. So she waited. She watched him sign autographs. And when he finally saw her, he was delighted to see her. He asked her if she had her mini with her, and she did. So they left together. Yay. Yeah. I've done that
3: many times.
2: (sighs) <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I did it for the hives. Nice. Yeah, I convinced my friend to do it, and we met um, a couple of the members. I came we, even... we didn't meet Helen Pelliong Fist, can... but it worked because they were outside on yeah. the side of the stage smoking. And
3: I can't even name the amount of times I've done that. In my teen years. You know
2: what? I don't think I ever had friends really bold enough to do that with me Mm. at bigger concerts. And um, I wasn't going to shows in Toronto.
3: I didn't really either until I started doing it and met friends like also doing it. If only we would have been together. I
2: know. Imagine all of the backstage doors we would have. Oh my goodness. Um... Where was I? Susie Cream Cheese. They got in the van. Okay. So they uh, went to a party where Susie Cream Cheese arrived with Jeff Beck and Ronnie Wood. And she reintroduced them to Frank and then like made a beeline for Pauline. She was really curious. She was curious about Pauline. Pauline was curious about her. So pretty much right away, she asked Pauline if her and Frank had had sex, but not quite in those words. Like it was kind of like... So did Pitching you guys around. fuck? Is, is <laughs> that's exactly what it was, um, and Pauline kind of like snapped back, like kind of like none of your business, and like what so what if we had would you have been jealous? And so, anyways, the they little, didn't get like, off. girl. Yeah, they didn't get off on like the best foot, but they ended up becoming friends as much as you can kind of become friends with. Well, I'll get to, I'll get to the drama and uh, the log cabin and oh, with Gail and everything, um, but Susie Cream Cheese was kind of like a- a territorial over Frank in a way, and said she'd kind of like been there from the beginning, and that she was the one that introduced Gail to Frank, and uh. I don't think she was very happy that she'd gotten like a. Kind of second in line. I got you. And like, um, yeah, who's this new woman entering the picture? Honestly, like, I'm not even clear on if they did have a relationship or not. I wouldn't put it past them and for that to happen. But um, anyways, her name uh, was Pam and Pauline calls her Pam's... Because her last name starts with a Z. I wrote it down somewhere. But the reason why she called her Pams instead of Pam was because there was another Pamela hanging around with the yes. Zappas. Our girl, Pamela DeBair, Amazing. Um, At the time, Pamela Miller. Because at this time, Pamela was only 19.
3: Oh, wow, yeah.
2: But we're going to get into that. We need to ask Miss P about her, too. We do. We need to ask Miss P about Susie Cream Cheese and about Pauline Butcher. Yeah. Because wait until you hear about how much Pauline was involved with the GTOs. Yeah, please. Okay. Oh, this keeps getting better. Yeah. So, eventually, Pauline and Frank left and went back to his hotel room. Um, He asked her if she'd like to get high, to which she replied no, which was the right answer. Because, as we know, Frank was very, very against drugs. Yeah. Um, He tried to get close to her on the bed, but she distanced them. And he asked her questions about her job and relationships, asking her if she got any nookie with her clients. Mm -hmm. He was always asking people about sex. Always, 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 always. They continued to chat, and Pauline says that Frank made her feel like she had worth. They talked until they were both exhausted, and he helped her with her coat and said that he had a great time. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Four months later, in January of 1968, she went to Washington to visit her sisters. They all had families there, and she knew that Frank lived in New York. So... Herb, Frank's manager, I think he was, said that she could call whenever she was in town. And so she did. So Herb took her out to dinner and then um, would eventually bring her over to Frank's house. But during dinner, something happened that Pauline was not expecting. She got some insight into Frank's home life, Mm -hmm. which she didn't know about.
3: Oh, okay.
2: She didn't didn't know. know about Gail? No. Wow. Frank had never mentioned it. She also didn't know they had a child. Wow. So she says, I happily stabbed into my food, looking forward with even more anticipation to my forthcoming meeting with Frank, unaware that a pothole was waiting to swallow me up. Herb said, have you met Gail before? Gail? Frank's wife. I attempted not to change <laughs> the expression on my face. <laughs> they got married last September.
3: Oh.
2: Before their tour, I muttered. How odd he never said. I searched my mind back to that night at the Royal Garden Hotel, trying to remember any mention, any hint of a wife. We talked about the band, the concert, Susie Cream Cheese, the war in Vietnam, but I would have remembered if he mentioned <laughs> that he was married, <laughs> news that would have stopped me in my tracks. Married men were just off my radar.
3: Wow. It's probably good she didn't know because maybe she wouldn't have contacted them. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So she went to Greenwich Village.
3: Greenwich? Did I say that right? Greenwich.
2: I better get it right before I actually go to New York. How come there's a W in there? If it's.
3: It's just.
2: I'm not going to argue it's just with Just there. It. At least I'm not going to make the mistake mistake of Greenwich, which I pro- <laughs> I think I did in like one of the first three episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry okay so that's where Frank and Gail lived and it was actually Gail who opened the door for her and I'm gonna read to you what she said
3: please
2: I'm Gail she said and held out her hand I took it and said formally how do you do (laughs) she gave me a little smile almost shy she was extremely pretty like Bridget Bardot minus the makeup her light brown hair tousled tousled and uncombed she wore tight jeans with a roll neck black jumper and bare feet Come on in, she said. And so Gail made her a cup of tea. She was really confused. Why mm. was she there? Why did he invite her? Gail sat by Frank's feet and eyed Pauline. And Pauline knew that this was the gaze of a woman, a woman that indicated that, like, Frank was hers. Yeah. Um, Gail talked about English pop stars she had known. And when Pauline asked how she had met them, Gail said this, which I think is super cute and hilarious. You go to clubs and you stand there and before you know it, Gary and the pacemakers or Jimmy Page or Jeff Beck is standing next to you, you know? <laughs> no. Oh, <yeah. laughs> no, They're I didn't know. Besides her stunning prettiness, Gale had a soft, unthreatening, almost bashful air. I could imagine boys scrambling over themselves to reach her. Tall and angular, I lacked that kind of appeal. If I stood around in a club, that's where I would stay for the rest of the evening, alone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah um so frank was very different here as you can imagine oh yeah i bet (laughs) distant and really into the music that they were listening to and that's when she realized that when you're listening to music with frank zappa you listen to the music and you don't talk Mm. so she desperately wanted a few minutes alone with frank and thought that when it was time to leave that maybe he would walk her to the door but it was gail who walked her to the door (laughs) and hailed her the cab and gail just kind of when Pauline said, like, thanks for having me. Gail was kind of like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, Frank always has people over, guys, girls, weirdos. <laughs> so, once again... Gail's um, sort of like, this is my house. Paul- mm. Yeah, and Pauline's bubble was kind of burned. Yeah. And, um, so, she ended up, you know, leaving. Mm. So, Pauline ended up staying in the States until April wow yeah and just kind of hopping from one sister to another she says enjoying a life of leisure that's lovely yeah but Frank had given her his phone number um, Mm -hmm. that night I guess he just like put it into her hand and before she left um, the states she called him because she figured why give it to me if he didn't want yeah. Like if you don't want me to use it. And so, um, over the phone, Frank had mentioned that he wanted to write a book, like a political book, and offered Pauline the opportunity to type it up. Perfect. In California. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So what a dream. You know, Hollywood, rock stars, writing and a step closer to her ultimate goal. Yeah. So um she saw Susie Cream Cheese again, whose full name was Pam Zabrubica. Um And she immediately told Pauline that she doesn't get along well with Gail, um, yada, yada, yada. There was like a lot of... There was at the beginning of the book. I actually wasn't sure if I was going to end up enjoying it because there was a lot of kind of bad talk about gail about pam about like the people like just she just really turned her nose up to a lot of people and actually i talked to our doll taylor yeah. taylor interviewed pauline i know and so i was halfway through the book and i was like she just is talking shit all the time about everybody
3: yeah but she really comes around okay. so so she's she's talking about her first impressions not you know what what she's left with,
2: like, she, there was apparently a lot of bickering and a lot of like cat fighting and a lot of like women kind of issues in yeah. the house. Like, I think it was, might have been like a dominance thing. Yeah, honestly, like if you get a bunch of women who are all pretty much like wanting to have some part in Frank's life and pretty and they're much all strong, they're all strong women. Like, you were going to have some of that, like for sure. And also, like you're all so young. I mean, that's true.
3: If they were in their thirties it would probably have come out differently.
2: Yeah. 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 So I, I left out a lot of the like kind of pettiness, the bickering bickering and great, but I I'll keep in some of the things that I think are just like relevant. Perfect. Um, cause the relationships were always warm and cool. Like they'd be like, she'd be best friends with Gail for a while. And then it like, they would be at each other about the jobs and her job, especially in
3: when you get like, especially so many women together in one house. It's like, I can see how, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when you all are like idolizing this one man.
2: Yeah. Um. So Frank did come on to Pauline again, like tickling her, kissing her. And she really, really wanted the job. And she was actually worried that by like turning him down, that she would wound his ego. And this is like a really interesting part of the book where she does talk about that kind of stuff about, like, about the men about men and their ego but anyways to her delight even though she didn't because she's like he's married and i'm yeah. no so she did not ever go there go there and um he still like he gave her the job he still yeah wanted her to have the job like, she was expecting a call like
3: oh sorry actually this yeah happening. Like, he's not a creep he, mm-hmm. he's not like well you'll get this job that.
2: like Frank Zappa like I love him. I do. And I love what he did for the GTOs. I love what he did for women. But no, like, yeah, he was still a creep. Still a creep. Okay. (laughs) So anyways, she got paid $70 a week and um, she was supplied with a room in his house and was kind of promised, like, food as well. But Mm. Gail didn't prove to be much of a cook. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, so that's when she moved into the log cabin in Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Uh. Um, he told her it's in the hills overlooking Hollywood. It has 14 bedrooms, seven bathrooms and caves underneath that will turn into a recording studio. There's a swimming pool and get this, it has a tree house.
3: It's like a magic like Playland. Yeah. Oh well, that's what it sounds
2: like. Yeah. But actually kind of like the Clapton Castle that we mentioned Ooh. in a few episodes like it wasn't exactly what it seemed. Like the idea of it is cool yeah. and it did have a wor- like a fully working bowling bowling alley underneath, but that was like the only ironically it was the only working thing in the house <laughs> like when she arrived, she was just like, "Oh my god." Yeah. Like the like it was the walls were stained. The It was just, the, there was no hot water. But when she first arrived, one of the first people that she met at the house was Christine. Oh. Who had later become Miss Christine. Yes. Because Christine is the babysitter. So I'll read you what she wrote. I'm Christine. I'm the babysitter. She giggled and offered me her limp wrist. Welcome to the log cabin. Tall and stick thin, her hair was a mass of frizz with silver paper and ribbons woven into it. She wore a see-through blouse that shadowed nipples on a flat, bony chest, a white frill for a skirt she'd tied at the waist with mauve chiffon and bright pink tights. From her China doll face, large blue eyes stared as if she were blind. Hmm. mm -hmm. So people were always dropping by the log cabin, strange looking people, either extremely ugly or very beautiful. (laughs) So she was disappointed with the state of her room, black dirty marks on the walls, stains on the ceiling, and a standing lamp with no shade or bulb. (laughs) So she had her work cut out for her, but she said the room was large and it did have like a few windows that of the view of the beautiful foliage. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at this time, Gail and Frank had little moon unit, who was just a little baby. And, um, like I said, she came to not rely on Gail for much, even going as far to say that Gail had three speeds, slow, very slow and stop.
3: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
2: Um, Shortly after moving in, she was given a job to transcribe the tapes of a woman interviewing Frank about the influence of the 1950s on the present-day rock scene. And she was kind of jealous because she wanted to be the one doing the interview, yeah. not typing it up. Um, meanwhile, she was meeting all of the other freaks. That's yeah. what they were called, the freaks who hung around. Calvin was one and who lived up in the treehouse. He was really cute. He did, like, art design. He was kind of the artist around the house. He took photos. Um, Christine's friend, Sandra... Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to be introduced. Mm-hmm. Our girls. Uh, she wrote letters home, felt lots of mixed emotions living there, and took down Christine's story in shorthand at Frank's request. Christine talked about her look and said, "To other people, when they look at us, it looks like it all looks really nasty. But when you get right down to it, Pamela and Sparky are virgins. I'm hardly ever with boys, and Miss Lucy doesn't like to fuck. You can you see only scantily dressed little girls, but it's just not like that."
3: Mm. yeah don't judge a book by its cover
2: mm. other people who dropped by were joni mitchell david crosby um, but it, like she didn't really know who they were stephen stills graham nash mama cass grace slick all the and... Laurel canyon yeah, regulars yeah and shout out to our doll Jacqueline because the monkeys lived up the road yes she said that once word got around that frank zappa had moved into the log cabin the house filled with freaks hippies musicians and groupies Nice. So, of course, my favorite part of this book is whenever she talked about the GTOs, who actually weren't the GTOs yet. Yeah. At first, I wasn't thrilled about the way she talked about them, but she really came around and she really warmed up and she really grew to love them.
3: It's interesting, yeah, because she really was an outsider, this kind of stuffy British woman coming into this you know, wild world She was
2: the freak to them. Yeah. She was the exactly. with like her done up hair <laughs> yeah. and her
3: like and her little straight like, laced
2: kind of attitude. Even though and... she had a sort short skirt. Like it always like matched, I'm sure it always looked yeah. great. Yeah. Um so apart from pop stars, um There grew up around Frank's tolerant and non-judgmental presence as a group of weirdos and hangers-on, all poor in purse, all searching for a different life, the dropouts of society. Mm. I didn't hate them, but I certainly looked down my nose, superior and lofty. Mostly, they were Christine's ragamuffin friends, Sparky, Pamela, Sandra, and Lucy. Just as weird-looking as Christine, they each dressed in their own quirky way, wearing cobbled together garments, a noisy, ragged bunch, they carried themselves with casual abandon and took pride in lounging about the kitchen telling wild stories about their adventures and what sounded like a foreign language where it's at gross out of sight groovy (laughs) hung up Still, Frank obviously thought there was something genuine about them, and I knew I should try to be charitable and feel as he did. He never complained, even when he came back from interviews and they were practicing their dancing in the living room. Indeed, he positively preened in their presence. We're your biggest fans, Mr. Zappa. We love you, Mr. Zappa. We would die for you, Mr. Zappa. And he would reply, why? You little vixens, you. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Well, at least she admits like, look, I was stuffy. I, you know, I acted this way and that she was, you know, realizing I need to be more open yeah um she began she began attending
2: concerts and you know in true fashion of our episodes she was standing on the side of the stage um she tells a pretty funny story about eric clapton coming up on stage and like with frank and people not really caring about him Mm -hmm. Um, at this time the girls would go on stage and dance Um, she thought that they were crude with their sexual overtones But Gail loved them. Of
3: course.
2: (laughs) Um, She was proud and happy to be in the in crowd. Mm. Um, And she said about Frank, with his nonchalance yet commanding manner on stage, there was no one else like him. Mm. Frank did not watch television or read newspapers. So when Pauline um, was living at the canyon, neither did she. Wow. She began to spend more time with Pams, going out to the Whiskey-a-Go-Go, socializing with pop stars. She says, When Pams was not preventing a very drunk Jim Morrison from falling between the tables, she and I and whoever chauffeured us would abandon the whiskey in favor of Barney's Beanery, an extraordinary hub of a place open 24 hours a day. Hmm. Pauline enjoyed the company of English rock stars a bit more, who she says, whose conversation sparkled with really with witty retorts, none um, of the soul searching, verging on neurotic self analysis of the American boys.
3: Yeah, they were probably a little more reserved as well. And um, yeah, I can see that.
2: So as she was getting closer to Pam's, um, Pam's was talking a lot of shit about Gail and even Frank as a father. Which I like left out, yeah. You know, like it, that was my least favorite part of the book. Um, but Pauline kind of realized that if she didn't keep Pams as a friend, she might have her as an enemy, and that's something that she didn't want. Mm. And um, fun fact I learned in this book: women couldn't wear trousers in court at this time. So wow. once yeah. So in the in the nineteen late nineteen sixties, women ridiculous. had to wear dresses in court.
3: Jesus Christ!
2: Yeah. One day when the Beatles were in town, Pams said. So what do you think? Pam went on. The refrigerated door slammed with a dull clunk. About what? The Beatles. Shall I invite the fuckers over? Mm-hmm. Frank slapped the Frankenfurter between two slices of bread already lying cut on the breadboard and probably stale. He found some mustard in the cupboard and squirted all over. First of all, I have a stack of work to get through. And second, if you girls need to get need to wet your underpants, they can come by any time. <laughs> they know where we live. <laughs> um Pauline's everyday routine was pretty awesome. She'd get up around 11, eat toast with grapefruit, walk down to the Laurel Canyon path to get her mail, read letters from home, separate the mail for for Frank and Gail and so on. And she was beginning to have some issues with Gail because Gail was really keeping an eye on her, really getting into her business. Um, like they would fight over who would sort the mail. Um, she was finding that Pam's had a heaviness to her, which was hard to live with. Mm-hmm. And um, even though she had squabbles with Gail, she found gail a little bit easier to live with but she did use the name scallywag manipulator and interfering busybody in 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 talking about gail
3: wow it must be weird being a wife a new wife especially and a mother and like you're trying to figure out your role as in this new family and then you have all these other women like taking roles that normally you know would be yours and i mean that that must have been like a really weird yeah space for sure yeah i wish gail could have written a book (sighs) i know frank wanted
2: her to and she said she was too busy with like the kids and stuff
3: oh yeah
2: yeah um so despite all the squabbles um she loved living there and when she wrote home she told them that there was no place that she would rather be she even talks about having no interest in going out on dates or finding a boyfriend because she was too involved in her job and decorating her room.
3: Wow.
2: Yeah. She loved her relaxed and easy lifestyle, chose her work hours, but she was useless in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And because Gail wasn't cooking for her, she pretty much needed to teach herself how to eat yeah. or to how to cook. Um because when she was younger, she had been banished from the kitchen by her five older sisters, mm. but she was taught at the log cabin how to fry an egg.
3: <laughs> so
2: she learned how to do that for herself.
3: Baby steps.
2: Yeah. She hadn't spent any alone time with Frank and ended up on a work routine with him that kept her up all night and then sleeping all day. And in terms of Frank's eating patterns and just like weird routines, I thought it was interesting to note that he never, ever spent time in the kitchen and always ate alone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he could always be found as pauline writes hunched at his desk or he'd shift across to the piano bench contort one bare foot over his knee a cup of coffee by his side a cigarette burning in the ashtray and start tinkling the keys hmm. yeah she loved to sit on the steps outside of her room and just like watch him make music yeah she talks about how the mothers of invention came by and um how frank ended up becoming their leader like, you know, how he composed songs. So, like, if you want more information about, like, the band and yeah. his relationship with the band and the squabbles that were going on with them and their issues, like, read the book. for awesome. sure. Awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. She continued to, un- sh- to attend shows and the freaks continued to dance on stage. And by this point, we know that it's our girls. Yeah. And around this time, she noticed that um, Frank did have other women around. For example, a young woman named Gemma. Um, she talked about how Calvin, Christine, Gail, Moon, Sandra, Sparky, Pamela, and Lucy would all come over and watch movies. Um, she says that everyone who lived in the house, including Gail, borrowed money from her. Um, Captain Beefheart comes in at this point, mm-hmm. a huge man with a band that would fill the kitchen. When she asked him why he chose the name Captain Beefheart, he replied, who's Captain Beefheart? Who's Captain Cook? Who's cooking tonight? Who's tight? <laughs> There Uh, you go. As per usual, Pam's tried to get Pauline to date him, and as per usual, Pauline declined. Mm. Um, yeah. So, Calvin was up in his treehouse, Dick and Pams were out, and so when Christine's friends, Lucy, Sandra, Pamela, and Sparky, bowled in with shrieks of laughter, she writes, I almost welcomed them in. Frank came through and welcomed them too, his mood visibly lifting. They were dressed in 1930s gear, white complexions, eyebrows painted like Marlene Dietrich? Dietrich. Dietrich? Thank you.
3: Marlena. Marlena.
2: Marlena, thanks. I obviously don't know who that is. Old Hollywood. You are much more cultured in old Hollywood than I am. (laughs) Dark red lipstick, slinky pink satin gowns, and smooth hair rolled at the ends. They looked so stunning, I just did not recognize them. Calvin dived around taking photographs, and they fell into poses like professional models. Frank even went so far as to invite them to dance again at the Mother's concert in Anaheim on Saturday. Grudgingly, I had to admit that they had a certain panache, an infectious joie de vivre. Mm. Yeah. So Frank talked about groupies in his article for Life magazine that he was commissioned to write. And he said girls who devo- devote their lives to pop music are one of the most beautiful products of the sexual revolution.
3: Damn straight. And
2: so was the birth of the GTOs. Yes. And just for a refresher um, you know we'll let everyone know that we have a beautiful special relationship with Pamela Debar yes. who is an original member of the GTOs. Mm-hmm. Which is like So amazing. I can't even believe it. I know. It's... Yeah. I know. Um, So I'll, I'll tell you about and our listeners they don't know how the gto's came to be during frank and the mother's concert in anaheim the girls arrived dressed up as babies with plastic bibs and diapers sucking on lollipops and their hair in pigtails they originally called themselves the laurel canyon ballet company and it was lucy who was the one that recommended the gto name girls together outrageously which could also be substituted for girls together only girls together often outlandishly although pauline has suggested to ian who was a member of the mother's band girls together off-puttingly <sighs> she was coming around to liking the girls though and says that maybe she did judge them too harshly at first and that she should break out of my english straight jacket and be more tolerant
3: yeah you should
2: um but the girls actually weren't allowed to perform that night because once the anaheim official saw pamela's nipple picking out from under her <laughs> bib they would not let them on, on stage Miss
3: P. (laughs) I love her. I know. I know.
2: Um, What Christine would say about the other girls and herself is super interesting. So getting to know the other GTOs from Pauline's perspective was really interesting. I loved it. Mm. Um, She talks about hitchhiking to the laundromat with Christine pre-Manson murders um when she says Hollywood was a trusting community mm. she says that Christine's life centered around her girlfriends she told Pauline we talk about groups a lot mm. so when the girls are together they talk about groups and that's how they became groupies yeah. these are the girls who like coined the term yeah they are the original groupies so Paul or Christine says, if you ha- if you have a rave in a band, it's like having a soldier in the war. You write him letters and you worry about him. Mercy and I send the Velvet Underground a dozen
3: roses with our pictures on the back. You can't be subtle. You know, um, Miss Christine ended up marrying John Cale from the Velvet Underground.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah.
3: That's so cool. Yeah. And Christine was actually a
2: model on the cover of Frank's album Hot Rats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's that. She's on the cover. Um, Christine hid her body under layers of clothes, though, because she did have a crooked spine, Oh. and um, she suffered like years of painful treatment to try to correct it, which involved being in a body cast for almost ten months. So I learned wow. this from Pauline's book, yeah. And um, I don't, I think that you know this, but unfortunately, years later, Christine eventually overdosed on heroin at the age of twenty-two. Yeah. Hmm. But before that. <laughs> Pauline um, was taking care of Frank's fan club and um, she mentions who his like typical mother's fan is. Mm -hmm. And you might be surprised. Maybe not. Um, Frank said that a typical mother's fan is a boy. 18 years old, has acne, is Jewish, Jewish, comes from Long Island or its equivalent and is extremely lonely. He is alienated from his parents, worried about his glands, the war and the draft. Insecure, he needs a friendly big brother image to emulate. <laughs> Yeah. And who better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pauline felt like she was the only one not participating in the sexual revolution because many people thought she was in love with Ian, who was a member of Frank's band, and it didn't really help matters that he slept on a sleeping bag on her floor every single night. She did have an interest in him, however, he had a fiance in New York, and once again to reiterate, those guys were off limits to her. Huh. Okay. Things were starting to change around the log cabin when one day Frank told Calvin um, that he and Gail and the family were moving to another home and that they would have to. So they like he and um, Pauline would have to find their own places to live. He would compensate their salary so that they could afford it. And Pauline was to work in Mutt Cohen's building. That's um, he's uh, Frank Zappa's lawyer where the offices of Bazaar. Mm-hmm. you know so frank's record label and company were to be set up pauline was devastated and for all of her complaining and about the drama and the lob cabin uh, the log cabin and like shabby you know um what's it called just conditions she loved being close to the action like she loved living at the cabin so she said that she and calvin felt like their parents had thrown them out and she did not want to go on working nine to five in an office mm.
3: It's interesting how she's, like, repelled in a way by, yeah. the, like, the, the people around, yet also, like, loves it and never wants to leave. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a strange balance there. Okay. So I have a super fun story for you. Yeah. Around this time, Frank received two
2: very interesting guests. And Ooh. it's not an episode if we don't mention... Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> but he came with Marianne faithful. Um, oh. So when all of the people who would like normally stop by like the lob cabin because they didn't have locks in the doors. Yes. And almost Anybody was welcome to stop by. Even if Frank didn't know them. He welcomed them in. Yeah. And there were more people than usual casually lounging around mm. when they knew that Mick and Marianne were going to arrive. And so this is Pauline's description of the entrance. When we returned, I think she was out seeing a movie, we found the house invaded. News had traveled all around Hollywood that Mick Jagger would visit Frank, and freaks from everywhere had besieged the house. Apparently, when Mick and Marianne Faithful walked in, 20 people laced casually in the living room, and although it was not unusual for the house to be overrun, it was unusual for visitors to collect together in one place. Hmm. Frank had made no protest. Now, though, they had adjourned to the basement, so they did go somewhere private. Mick Jagger, wearing a white shirt with a deep frill down the front, his brown hair parted in the middle, and waving to his shoulders, shook hands with Ian while Marianne kissed him on the cheek and spoke with a bewitching, gravelly voice. Mm -hmm. Awfully good to meet you, she (laughs) cooed. She had short, blonde, floppy hair and wore a green mini dress. Mick, shorter than I'd expected, or at least I looked down at him, shook my hand so okay uh mick frank and marianne all jammed a bit marianne on the tambourine and eventually they all retired to the kitchen where mick and marianne finished off a full bottle of scotch that they had brought with them (laughs) they talked about the government while christine and mercy kind of hung back and watched just kind of like taking it all in obviously mercy and christine wanted to be around
3: yeah yeah
2: um so she said marianne would stand up do something like a pirouette or a pose or a dance and then like flop into Mick's lap. (laughs) I like how she describes their rapport. Throughout their visit, Marianne interspersed with Mick Like a double act, he spoke, she spoke, he spoke, she spoke, excited and passionate, vocal and opinionated about things everyone at the log cabin ignored. The music scene, fashion, art. They reminded me of what I missed from England, the lively chatter and dynamic arguments about issues of the day. They talked about Vietnam and eventually Mick and Marianne were so drunk. (laughs) (laughs) This is me talking now. That they fell off his chair and Frank kicked them out. <laughs> but they didn't even like realize that they were being like kicked out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Around this time, Christine introduced Alice Cooper to Frank. Yes. And Frank agreed to sign Alice's band at like Christine's request. So, Lynx's <laughs> <laughs> cat CK is just having a field day in here oh, yeah. right now. He wants attention. He wants attention. As per usual. <laughs> yeah. Um... So she said that Christine and Alice stood holding hand in hand, and they looked like twins from a comic strip, all stretched out in skinny arms and legs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the GTOs were telling Pauline about their interview with Playboy magazine, and Marianne came in and invited everyone to Sunset Sound Studios to watch Mick mix the album Beggar's Banquet. And so they all went. Ah, amazing. And when they got there, another famous pair of lovers were in the studio.
3: Keith and Anita. Yay! Yay!
2: So, Frank watched Mick at work. And um, so this is what Pauline says, although very soon he was pitching in with suggestions and ideas. Maybe that's why Keith Richards seemed to lose interest and halfway through, halfway through and withdrew with his girlfriend, Anita Pallenberg. Anita, very pretty, full fringe, tall and waif-like, seemed more serious than Marianne and sat at the desk adding her own ideas on many of the run throughs. Nice. At other times, she and Marianne chatted to the GTOs, Pamela, Sparky, and Lucy, or they hobnobbed together like close friends, whispering and giggling.
3: Uh, to be there.
2: Can I you imagine?
3: Uh, this pee. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, Pauline does mention that Marianne was pretty zonked out mm. and rarely sat still and was even flirting with Frank, but he wasn't interested because apparently, like Pauline, he didn't have interest in people who are like in relationships or married yeah. or whatever yeah um Pauline started to worry about her job um at this point because of like the move that was going to be happening um Pam's and Gail were put in charge of the fan mail mm-hmm. and she was worried about that. She's like, nothing's going to get done. And Pauline was realizing that Frank actually didn't have a desire to write that political book that he told her about before she moved to Maloral Canyon. And Pam's actually told Pauline that Gail was intending on getting her fired. Whether or not that's true, like Pam's did seem to get off on being the bearer of bad news. Mm. Yeah. Um, Pauline talks about her moods. Like they mimicked the atmosphere of the house. Very topsy turvy, you know, like could, be there could be so much bitchiness between a friendly service backbiting hostility but also delightful sessions of mad fun and joy Mm. i paraphrased there yeah um many people at the cabin thought that pauline came from an upper class family and she didn't like correct them and she said that she altered her accent slightly to a crisp bbc sound sound (laughs) yeah um the gtos were starting to sing at the frank zappa and the mothers of invention shows um and while pauline worried about her job after talking to herb frank told her that he did have another job for her and not to worry he told pauline to type up pamela's diaries wow yeah wow frank said about them she has a whole stack of them i've seen a couple and they're pretty racy
3: that's amazing that even back then he recognized like there's this is worth while like we need to save these we need. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Frank added some more members to the
2: GTOs to add some as she says much needed oomph. Mm. She described Pamela as ardent and keen, and I think later on, yeah, later on for sure, the most professional of the bunch. Ah, our Pamela. Um, that makes sense. So this is when Mercy and Cinderella joined.
3: I just realized it's Cinderella that married John Cale.
2: Oh, okay, not not Christine.
3: Yeah. Okay. It was the other C.
2: So now they were 7. Um, Frank told them that he believed that they had real rock and roll potential. He told them to come up up with 12 original songs and he would record them. Pam's was worried about this because she was afraid that they would replace her as Suzy Cream Cheese. She told Pauline that they were thieves, lesbians, and junkies.
3: (laughs) Wow. Well, that last
2: part was true for some of them. Um, Cinderella was in love with Tiny Tim. And we get to hear about him a little bit. Um, and what I didn't know is that the girls performed Getting to Know You for him. Um, and he called his manager and tried to steal them away from Frank Zappa. Wow. Like he wanted, he saw the potential of these shows, and he wanted to like wow. be the one that kind of discovered them. But they stuck with Frank and voila, the first all-girl rock and roll group was formed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pauline wrote, why, they might even acquire their own groupies. Mm -hmm. How right she was. (laughs) Mm. Um, So Pauline actually got the job to look after the GTOs. And since she had experience teaching models, she was kind of like their road manager and like would help them with their dance routines. And sometimes she said like she felt like their school mistress. Yeah. She had to get them in line. But, uh, yeah. She says, Frank appointed a professional photographer to take pictures of the girls at the zoo. Feeling unwell, with a muzzy head and drained of all energy after days of excruciating pains in my abdomen, despite taking painkillers, I trailed around the lion and monkey cages while the girls, dressed in their most wacky outfits, struck attitudes that drew as many spectators as the animals. (laughs) (laughs) She also continued to work on the fan club, which ended up being called the United Mutations. Interesting. Yeah. So Gail talked about her groupie days as well, and Pauline writes... Gail had no inhibitions when talking about her groupie days and the various people she'd had flings with. She thrilled us with stories about Terence Donovan, the famous English fashion photographer. He made love, she said, like a sergeant major. He issues orders with a loud voice ringing out, <laughs> right leg up, left arm down, turn to the right, belly side over. <laughs> Very amusing, as Gail could be. I liked her delight in the comic and absurd. Even her shambolic lifestyle was beginning to grow on me. Aww. So, Pauline began typing up Pamela's diaries, of which she had 14 of, and then enter Cynthia Plaster Caster yeah. because Frank was introduced to her by Eric Clapton. Jesus. He just gets everywhere. Yeah. And so he brought Pauline three of Cynthia's diaries to transcribe as well. Cool. So, Frank really was a visionary. Um, Pauline said Frank seemed convinced that because of the 60s sexual revelation, sexual revolution, an explosion of interest in girls' sexual behavior would follow and a market for their journals would soon open up. Secretly, I felt disappointed in Frank. What could I learn from this grubby and tacky stuff? There was something refreshing about their uninhibited voices, their willingness to express whatever came into their heads. All the American girls I'd met, Gail, Pam's, and the GTOs, as well as Cynthia and her diaries and the girls in New York, all of them had this wonderfully free voice, and I wanted it, tr- I wanted it too.
3: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I had thought they were irrelevant, inconsequential, the dregs of society, but now as they'd seeped into my consciousness, in comparison with their spontaneous, unbridled flair, I felt rigid, taut, and unmovable. Wow. Yeah. So she talks about warming up to Mercy and, um, as she did with all of the other girls and, um, yeah, like she, Frank was the one who handed the telephone from when he was talking to Cynthia on the phone to Pamela. And that's when Pamela and Cynthia striked up like a great friendship Uh, and they, they struck up like this passion for Noel Redding that they both loved (laughs) Um, the GTOs gave Frank their lyrics and he laughed at them, called them inspiring. Meanwhile, like Paulina sitting here watching all of this and documenting it all, you know, yeah, which is so cool. Like he had an actual secretary documenting all this stuff. Um, and it's funny because my cousin asked me the other day, like, why would Frank Zappa need a secretary?
3: Mm. Like so many reasons. Yeah. Here you go. (laughs)
2: Um, Mercy sang her song shock treatment. Um, and You know, Pauline talks about Pamela taking drama classes, dances, working at the candy store. Um, And she says she admired her energy and drive and with her beautiful angelic face and blonde tresses would surely succeed. Mm. Yeah. Originally, Frank wanted to publish Pamela and Cynthia's diaries together, but Pamela didn't want that. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, because her book, yeah I'm um, with band, Confessions of a Groupie, went on to become a bestseller and like remains yeah. to be like one of the best rock and roll books of all time.
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Um, one thing that I will say that I found was super cute was one time she walked into the kitchen, into the log cabin, and found David Gilmore and Richard Wright um, flirtatiously enticing Cinderella, Pamela, and Sparky into the night. Aww. <laughs> So going back to finding Pauline a place to live, she had three offers from guys she knew, Ian from the Mothers, Neil Russian, a hotshot businessman, as she calls him, and Mutt, the lawyer who had tons of animals. Hmm. They all said she could live rent free they all kind of had their stipulations. Like I think maybe one of them had like a sexual connotation, um, you know, with Ian and his girlfriend, she thought maybe that wasn't a good idea. She eventually accepted mutts offer where she had her own room on Woodrow Wilson drive. Um, like half a mile from where Frank and Gail's new house was. Hmm. Plus it had a swimming pool. Um, she said she dreaded the day (laughs) on September 6th, 1968, um, she was answering fan mail, and the desk was literally taken out from under her, and she oh. had to move out. She says, In September 96- 1968, the mothers of invention left for a five week European tour. And while they were gone, I splunged into mothering the GTOs, those wacky girls who never ceased to amaze, amuse, and surprise me. Frank had been right and I had been wrong, whereas before I had seen a disheveled, immoral bunch. Now, when they swore like troopers, fell into squabbles with each other, or confessed that they were too stoned to work, I would shake my head and smile indulgently. I learned that, just as Christine had said, so... Pamela and Sparky at 19 were still virgins, though that would soon change. (laughs) Christine led a life of sexual abstinence. Lucy had a camp boyfriend who dressed like Beau Brummel, while Cinderella still hung out with Tiny Tim, who did not believe in sex before marriage. Even Mercy, for all her flamboyance and eyes like a raccoon, did not attempt to attract boys. Only Sandra, who looked 12 years old with her small cameo face, showed any sexual appetite.
3: Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that she's, you know, realizing it. It, and especially realizing it while still in it and not like, you know, decades later, like why, why was I like this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, She was beginning
2: to enjoy going out with the girls. Everyone would pay them attention. And even Sammy Davis once asked them if they were professionals. (laughs) So, like, you know, there's so... Like, the book goes on and there's so many chapters about the GTOs, their lyrics about Captain Beefheart, pubescent love, groupie life. It was honestly such a lovely surprise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Pauline really asks herself how she could have originally criticized them as they were showing burgeoning talent and impressive effort Aww. yeah so pauline had them practicing their dance and on december 5th the girls took the stage at the shrine exposition hall she was very pleased when it was time to sing eureka garbage lady that they all got the lyrics right <laughs> they got whoops and cheers and in the studio when it was time to record nikki hopkins and rod stewart showed up um rod was virtually an unknown then but they had the girls excited yeah it was Mercy who came up with the title of their album, Permanent Damage, and the girls' reputation was really starting to grow around Hollywood. And um, it was around this time that the girls did their famous photo shoot for Rolling Stone magazine. Mercy, of course, is on the cover. The yeah. girls have their spreads. And at the photo shoot, Pauline ran into George Harrison and Patty Boyd and asked him, Have you heard of the GTOs? And he said, I've heard rumors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So for work, she was typing up Pamela's now 30 diaries and Cynthia's 10 or um, the script for for Frank's film Uncle Meat and working until like 3 in the morning. She'd then hang out with Gail and everyone at the house and was welcomed by Gail into their new home as if she was one of her own. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that the relationship actually got better once she moved out. No doubt. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, you know, she shared Thanksgiving with them, Christmases. And by the start of 1969, she wrote home that she was perfectly happy. Aww. She really did adore Frank and she really felt part of the family. She said, no longer looking in, I was in. Beautiful. Yeah. Gail was pregnant again, and around this time, Christine, Mercy, and Cinderella were found with syringes, heroin, and cocaine, and taken to jail. Hmm. Frank immediately canceled their contract and stopped any work on their album wow she says that journalists were beginning to acknowledge acknowledge Frank as a unique figure in the music scene Um, a composer and a songwriter who pushed the boundaries of what was musically acceptable like you know they always talked about him like he was a weirdo but they were really beginning to see him for the genius that he was serious quiet and intelligent and you know how old Frank was at this time no 28 oh my god I know Wow. Wow. (laughs) Pauline got her green card and Frank got over his anger with the girls and called Pamela and Sparky back to the studio to finish the recording on permanent damage. This is pretty funny. She says that Pamela and Sparky considered themselves the Lennon and McCartney of the GTOs. (laughs) (laughs) Pamela, I love you so much. So seven GTOs actually went down to four. Sandra was having a baby. Sparky left, but they kept on. Mm Mm-hmm um atmosphere in the canyon really did change because sharon tate's murder yeah. you know that did happen less than five miles away from where they lived um romance did eventually come calling for pauline when she met a na- a man named fred wolf at a barbecue at her and Mutt's house um she was now being courted by a film producer rich and celebrated in hollywood she said that the next 2 months were full of romance because she always told Frank that like he was all about lust and she always needed a connection. She wanted to be in love really if she were if she was going to be in a relationship. Hmm. so they went along sunset boulevard to the pacific ocean um this guy kind of ended up being i think emotionally like pretty verbally abusive mm. yeah so they didn't last too long um in november of 1969 she typed up the last of the groupie papers which pamela's diaries ended up being called which ended up being like 900 pages wow when she visited england her friends treated her like a mini celebrity. <laughs> She says, While my friends married and had babies, commuted each day to humdrum jobs, I lived in the heart of Laurel Canyon, the most happening rock and roll caveat in the world. Wasn't that glamour for you? I thought it was. Yet after the initial euphoria had worn off, my friends' true feelings began to emerge. Pat, the proud mother of Polly, her first baby, said, It wouldn't suit me to travel so much. I need roots. I need to be settled. A veiled attempt to reset the balance.
3: I hate it when people do that. Like, let people have what they want. You know, you don't need to make negative comments. Yeah. But, like, man, jealous. Like, I know. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're really showing your cards when yeah. you do that. Yeah she talks about
2: gail possibly writing her own book as i mentioned before frank's and frank wanted um her to write a book about like his groupies but she never did she talked about meeting linda ronstadt her beauty and like linda not even knowing how beautiful she was about frank being with women on the road Gail pretty much put up with Frank's relationships and just as so long as he didn't bring them into the house. Mm. So anytime he had mentioned like wanting a girl, like one of his girls to move in or to be a part of like a kind of a three relationship, Gail really put her foot down. Yeah. Or, and sometimes she would even leave and then he'd be like, okay, okay, I won't do it. Like, Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: you listen to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So do you remember Calvin who I talked about who Mm kind of lived in that little tree house and
3: the artist? uh, Yeah. Actually,
2: they got into a bit of a relationship. yeah pauline um got the groupie papers down from 900 to 350 pages which took her two months it was now 1970 and frank's new album actually reached number nine on the charts
3: Mm.
2: her relationship with calvin turned out to be not great he Mm. was kind of a slob womanizer an artist (laughs) an artist (laughs) and she was spending too much time focusing on him rather than her um and Pauline was kind of involved in a revolution of her own at this time because like women's lib was really big. Mm. Um So she writes, in America, photographs of women marching in the streets dominated the headlines. They came charging off the front page, brawless, chest thrust forwards, fat, thin, short, tall, well-heeled and downtrodden, all with one resolve to end men's oppression of women. Love me less, respect me more, their banners ra- uh, railed. Of course, why hadn't I thought of it before? It was not love women needed from men, but respect, equal pay for equal work. I bought Kate Millett's book, Sexual Politics, and devoured her argument in all 300 pages. The patriarchal system that exists throughout the world, she said, maintains its hold by passing itself off as nature. Mm -hmm. The natural order of things is for men to dominate and for women to submit. Her book set out to deconstruct that view and argued that women must collectively rebel. Kate Millett, along with other visionaries, had opened the creaky door to women's liberation.
3: Yes. We still need to band together and Mm -hmm. fight that. (laughs) we're still the girls together outrageously often yeah
2: Yeah. they were really on to something man girls Uh, together i know right they were so on it at one concert she says um she was talking to a guy named jay about a groupie named lixie Ooh, yeah jay said i feel sorry for her last night she was with tony the night before with fred and tonight she's with jim he shook his head despondently I jumped to her defense and surprised myself. Why do you feel sorry for her? She's doing the same as Tony. Every night he's with a different chick and you say he scores. Yo-ho for Tony. Yeah. But Lixie, you feel sorry for? Why? How do you know she isn't having a good time too? Why is she spoken of in derogatory terms?
3: Yeah. Why isn't that her decision? Yeah. Yeah. What? Like, go Lixie. Yeah. Damn go it. Go go. She continued to work for Frank, but there wasn't
2: as much work as before. She became more of a surrogate nanny and friend to the Zappas at this point. Mm. She was typing the script for 200 Motels, Frank's film. Pamela was in that. Yeah. And she was asked to work on the production. She talks about Keith Moon and Ringo Starr being on set and really just how odd and weird the whole movie was. <laughs> yeah. She felt like the Zappers were really taking up a lot of her time and energy, and so she decided to do some things for herself, like go out and meet new people, read books, like expand, how to meet friends and influence people or whatever that book's yeah. called, and start questioning the meaning of life. <laughs> Finally
3: getting out of the British yeah. stuffiness. Mm-hmm.
2: And- um, The idea of going back to university to, to do a course in journalism ran through her mind. Um actually at this time she was recommended to go interview as mcjaggers uh secretary for- because the rolling stones secretary um was thinking about retiring so she went to the south of france to have an interview with him. so they kind of talk about that first meeting that they had mm-hmm. um and uh she- the rolling stones secretary ended up staying with them after all so uh, not that she didn't get the job it's just that like it didn't nobody work got the yeah. job. She was also asked to type up Noel Redding's diaries, but it's not like they were like Pamela's. Mm-mm. They were more like, went to gig, went down a bomb, <laughs> Hendrix did a moody, may have the clap.
3: I think he did write a book, though. I haven't read it, though, so that's not the best. Uh, hmm. That does not make me want <laughs> <funny. laughs> She said to Frank about her
2: trip to the south of France, I went to Keith Richards' huge ramshackle mansion first, right on the Mediterranean at Camp Ferret. Anita, his wife, kept complaining about him being away on long tours and how they never had a holiday together. She was really fed up. She wants them to tour anonymously in small clubs all over Europe. Okay. Yeah. So Pauline went back to England in 1972 and she had surgery on her ears, which had like really bugged her for years. It kind of, she had a really hard time hearing. Mm. She had... Like, she was starting, like, her vision was starting to get kind of messed up. Um, Frank was in the hospital for a while. Um, something had happened with a fan at a show. Yikes. Yeah, I'm just, like, breezing by it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But But, um, yeah. So, she ended up, like, staying in England, finished typing Noel's diaries, and took up some secretarial work on the side. And of Frank, Pauline says, years later, I interviewed Frank in London and challenged him on some points he was staying at the hyde park hotel and made a lonely figure in the immersed dour sitting room decorated in dull muted colors It was 17 April 1988, a few weeks before he disbanded his band, his last band, over a contentious issue and five years before he died of prostate cancer at the age of 53. He'd survived 20 years in the music business and produced 50 albums, an extraordinary compilation of social commentary, satire, doo-wop, jazz, and progressive orchestrations, several of the albums reaching the top half of the American charts. He'd received six Grammy nominations, a Grammy for jazz from hell, and another for best rock instrumental performance on sofa all the while no one had played his records on the radio and yet over 20 years he sold enough records to make him a rich man Hmm. in europe and across america they both reviled and revered him revered him even john lennon when he visited frank had been deferential i may be popular but he is the real thing wow pauline decided to stay in england and to start like Building an identity Of her own Mm. That wasn't linked Or attached to Frank Zappa. Yeah Because for the longest time When people found out About her relationship Her with the family With Frank It was just Always about Frank It was Mm. always about How did you meet him Tell me about him And it was a bit much for her So over the years She mentioned his name Less and less Until after a while She didn't mention his name at all
3: Yeah
2: Gail would send her Letters of love Asking her when she was Coming back And saying You know The kids miss you and we love you. That's so sweet. Yeah. In closing, we'll say, um, she says... It had been my good fortune to meet Frank Zappa on that fateful day in August 1967, and I had reaped all the benefits and goodness from that union, its own education of sorts. Now it was time to fly from him just as I'd flown from my own family five years earlier. No longer content to be a bit part player in someone else's drama, I wanted to be the heroine in my own show, plow my own furrow, stir my own waves, and paint the future with my own brush.
3: That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. So she did go to Cambridge. She did a psychology degree. She married a fellow student. She began teaching. Um, She had a son. And then when her son like left home to go to university, it was kind of time to start writing Writing her story story. and kind of...
3: And she sort of got to kind of live her dream as a, a journalist in a way because... She was part of this scene and now she she got to write about it and I guess at the time you don't realize it but like that is an important role. She was there observing, taking everything down and Yeah. Yeah, she had her place there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's me. It's like fantastic. I that was great.
2: Okay, good. Yeah. I'm like I feel like you know, the episodes are getting longer and we just want to add in so much, but it's like, we can't put everything in no. that we want to. So, but that's in a way that's always... good because
3: yeah. hopefully it gives people more incentive to also buy the book. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to read the book. I want to get all those little details in about the GTOs especially oh, yeah, and, and how Zappa worked and everything for yeah. sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah ah that was so good it was nice to spend time there you yeah. know like when that's the beauty of the book is you know you're spending time in Laurel Canyon mm-hmm. it's freaking cold outside but it's like you go there yeah. and it's like you're there it's and the for best. our people who are just like oh I just wish that we could go back to that time it's like you know what you can Pauline yeah. Butcher brings you there yeah so thanks Pauline and um, hopefully you know we're gonna try to find her and yeah and, for sure um, maybe get a hold of her one of these days yeah and once uh taylor um finds the article that she wrote she said she's gonna send it to us so then we can post it
3: perfect yeah i remember when she uh i think that's how i found out about the book actually oh wonderful so thanks taylor doll yeah okay this was great the uh yeah okay that's it that's all folks yeah thank you for your hard work thank you for leading me to this. Of course.
2: And uh, have a great day, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Have fun in New York. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Bye. Bye.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving god. And we Are not its favoured children. The heresies of Radolf Bantwine coming january second, wherever podcasts are available.